Hey everybody, Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL. Welcome to this week's interview. If you're here for the first time or the 30th time, I'm glad you're here. I'd love to get some feedback from you on the interviews, and you can do that by going to the podcast platform you use to listen and leave a rating and a comment. That would be greatly appreciated. Support for this podcast is made possible by the generous support of Messina Covers, the Eastman Music Company, and my faithful Patreon subscribers. If you're interested in getting a new single bag or multiple horn bag, or even a mouthpiece pouch, you should check out Messina Covers. David and Erica deliver both exceptional customer service and a superior quality product. They do custom orders as well, and in some really cool color options. Be sure to check them out at messinacovers.net. That's M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S dot net. The Eastman Music Company history may be short compared to some in the industry, but what's impressive is that they've risen to the level of other trusted brands. What you'll find at Eastman is a commitment to excellence and innovation. Eastman Winds have created a line of brass instruments that are becoming commonplace in top orchestras and used by respected artists worldwide. I've been playing the 825 SB flat trumpet since 2013, and I've added since the ECN 422 Shepherd's Crook B flat cornet and the EFG 512 flugelhorn. Eastman also does a great job of recognizing great instruments and designers and knows that it makes great business sense to bring those companies under the umbrella of Eastman rather than to try to start from scratch. Such is the case with SE Shires. Eastman's acquisition of Shires has ensured that the quality and innovation of the Shires instruments continues. Alongside my Eastman instruments, I also play the Shires B-flat CVLA XL trumpet and the Shires No. 5C trumpet. I'm both fortunate and grateful to be associated with Eastman and to be a dual artist for Eastman and Shires. Please visit EastmanWinds.com and SEShires.com. One last item before we get to today's interview. If you would like to contribute financially to this podcast and support the continued delivery of access to great artists, you can do so starting out as little as $3 per month. There are five tiers of support offered and there are some cool benefits available to you if you become a subscriber at Patreon. You can see all tiers and benefits by visiting patreon.com slash studio HFL and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Again, thank you for being here. And now on with today's interview. How are you? I'm doing great. I have a question. Are you related to Fred Powell? People ask you, you that all the time. Yeah, well, you know, we look alike, and if I had the, you know, he's got kind of those horn-rimmed uh, glasses, uh-huh. and if we stand next to each other, we get that question all the time, and we both joke about it, but no. Yeah, you know, no. Other, other than, you know, both being trumpet players and sharing a last name. Yeah, uh, yeah. What do they say, uh, a brother from an, another mother? Another mother, yeah, right. right? <laughs> so, yeah, well, he uh, did work on my trumpet. I've known him through... Guys like Rob Parton, if you know Rob, is a great trumpet player. I do. I went to school with him. No way. Yeah. Where? At UK, back when Vinny was teaching. With Vinny. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. where I might have first met Rob. I can't remember. Because I'm a <laughs> Vinny disciple. I'm a, a, a Vinnyite. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have to tell you, it happens in every single interview that I do. And of now, in, in the first minute, Vince's name comes up. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's the kind of 
that's yeah. the kind of effect he's had on on people you know it's just it's pretty beautiful it yeah. is right it yeah is. yeah so, i am thrilled to have you here well uh, what a joy to be with you man well, i'm sorry i apologize you. for not being uh prompt you know getting back to you so oh no i i've i've been able to uh uh, get some other interviews in and right. I'm, I'm patient and you know, it's, it's great right now with all the downtime being able to, everybody's a little more accessible, yep. un unfortunately at the moment, but, uh, no, yeah. this is great. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. You know, uh, of course I've known about you for a very long time. I've heard oh. you play on recordings, but uh, a couple of years ago when you came to Indianapolis and uh -huh. played with the symphony here, you and Carmen. Yes. Uh, Carmen's last name. Carmen Bradford. Carmen Bradford. The two of you put on, um, I, I didn't want to play. I didn't want to put the horn up because I, I thought I was going to miss. I mean, it was absolutely spectacular uh, what so you did. And, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm going to lavish some praise on you uh, for Ooh. a moment. Uh, <laughs> an amazing trumpet player, musician, absolutely. But what impressed me the most is, is you connect to an audience like that oh that's so and scary. not everybody has that that yeah. ability i mean that's that's i think what puts you in that that yeah. elite status as a performer is, is oh, that that's ability. very nice of you so it, you know it's nice to have watched people well we'll say for your interview <laughs> well we're in we're in we're, we're already so welcome. you know what let me do a formal let me do a sure. formal welcome so Byron Stripling, it is a pleasure to absolutely have you, an absolute pleasure, see I'm tripping over my own words already, <laughs> uh, an absolute pleasure to have you here today and, and to spend some time talking trumpet and life. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, so uh, here's where I usually start. Um, what's going on? Where are you? What are you doing these days? Sure. Well, so right now I'm in Columbus, Ohio, which is where I live. Mm -hmm. uh, I've lived here for almost 17 years. I moved here from New York. And I'm in my basement, as you can see. If I had second, I'd take you for a tour. But this is where all my records are that I'm now trying to get rid of. So if you can help me with that, please do. Because <laughs> well, <laughs> I would put them towards college tuition at this point. You yeah. Know? I have two uh, girls in college. They're here with me safe and sound yeah, uh, during good. this quarantine. Uh, and I had to go pick up one of them was in Connecticut. So I had to drive 10 hours and mm. go pick her up in March. Um, but I've been here since then. And what I've made this project is I I consider everything a gift. So I think COVID for me was a gift. And so I've been able to practice a lot, totally clean up my basement, which my wife had been asking me to do for years. It's like, when are you going to clean up this mess? You know, right, right. And I have to tell you, I found double CDs, double records, double scores of things I had. And it makes sense, the whole cleanliness thing. It's like if you keep your stuff organized, which I've done in the past couple months, then you don't lose stuff and you realize how much stupid stuff you have. And right. the whole the whole process is really cleansing because you realize what you need and what you don't need. So this has been a real gift to me this time alone, although I would have loved to have been playing the trumpet in public. Absolutely. I've okay. been able to do that a little bit. And we can talk yeah. about that later if you so, want. So, uh, you know, um, my wife and I, uh, well, she actually is opening up a shop in our garage. So during this time, we've actually emptied our garage completely, finished it. Wow. But in this process, you know, we're going through 20 and 30 years yes. of stuff, just like you're talking about. And you're like, well, first of all, I forgot I ever had this. I guess I don't really need it. So it either is going to Goodwill or, uh, yeah. you know, sell it or do something yeah, with it. Yeah. And uh, my wife, <laughs> uh, she, she always says, 
uh, because I misplace things all the time. And I'm like you, I've got double copies of some method books and solos. It's like, you know, you forget yeah. that you bought it, but she's like, uh, a place for everything and everything in its place. Right. Yeah. So as we refinished the garage and got it ready, you know, there is now a place for everything and it's going to be my responsibility <laughs> to oh. put it back where I found it, you know. I want to so, see that part. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I'm a creature. I have it. So, you know, how, how much uh, I'll, I'll stick to that. I don't know. But yes. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned you drove to Connecticut. Uh, of course, yes. there's probably not a good choice to fly. Uh, is that why you drove up there or just, just I drove there because my daughter had all her stuff. She was oh, going right, at right. the National Theater Institute. Uh, it was uh, the she goes to Sarah Lawrence College in New York. However, mm -hmm. she wanted to take a semester and do just solely theater. It's an amazing place for that. Mm -hmm. So I have to tell you, I was a really a bad person in my daughter's eyes because they hadn't yet uh, dismissed during the quarantine. Although the school where my other daughter had been, the school where I teach, I teach trumpet a little bit at Ohio State University, everybody yeah. was closing up. And she's like, but we're different. And we're calling up the, the Connecticut. <laughs> They're like, oh, we're different. We're, you know, we're away from everything. Nobody can come on, nobody come off. In the meantime, I'm hearing on the, the phone or the TV, I'm hearing they're thinking about closing down states. In other words, certain states won't let you in if you're coming in. There, there was that discussion. I'm right. like, I don't want to be in a position where I can't get my daughter. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want her to fly because we didn't know what, what that would be like. I also know I had to get her stuff. So I did this bad thing. This is a boring story, but it's true. I called her up and I said, because me and my wife made a decision. We have to do this. We have to make this decision. This is our child. Mm -hmm. So we called her up and says, I said, I'm coming tomorrow. Have your stuff ready. She's like, but it's fine here. I said, you have not, they weren't watching the news. They weren't seeing CNN yeah. and you know, all these things. Yeah. I said, I, as your father, I need to have you home with us in our house with us together. That mm -hmm. way I can take mm -hmm. care of you. So she was like devastated. So I said, I'm coming tomorrow and that's it. Be ready. I'm going to stay overnight in the hotel after a 10 hour drive. The next morning I'll be there to pick you up. Mm -hmm. She called me on the ways I was driving. She said, the school just dismissed. <laughs> I'm like, of course they did. <laughs> so yeah, I was yeah. a good guy again, you know, after yeah. that. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, you've got one daughter that's in theater, talented. Is, is the other daughter? Uh, the the other daughter's uh, deciding she's in like personal training, health oh. and nutrition, all that stuff. Maybe she can whip me into shape. <laughs> but I've walked That's every day cool. on the quarantine. I've taken Good. off really, we took like a two mile walk in Man. through our neighborhood. I, I missed four days, but I figured I had no excuse. <laughs> right. I had to walk, you know, so. Right. Yeah. So uh, Columbus, Ohio, you said uh, came from New York. Is it New York City? Yes, I lived in, uh, in the New York City area. We had moved out to a place called Rockland County, about 40 minutes away. Um, but I lived in the city for probably seven to 10 years and then outside mm -hmm. it for about seven years, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so, so what what drew you to Columbus? Uh, I conduct the Columbus Jazz Orchestra. Oh, it's right. been in existence for 47 years. I've been with it for the last 17 years mm -hmm. as the the artistic director and the conductor. And uh, we're now currently taking donations for those of you who'd like to donate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> but we're doing we're, we're doing great. It's a, a, a nonprofit uh, and full. It's a jazz band, five saxes, four trombones, four trumpets, bass, piano, drums, and so it's originated by the great Ray Eubanks. And we've had mm -hmm. soloists uh, from the greatest uh, in the world. We have a season that has it's a uh, five concert season. Each concert has four nights of concerts. So it would be a Thursday, wow. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 
Uh, so it's run like an orchestra. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a tremendously successful. I'm just happy that they exist and we have yeah. to keep it going through this craziness that we're going yeah. through. So, you know, focus on the repertoire. Is Do you do a lot of standards? You do a mix of newer things? What, what do you do? We, we do all of that. So uh, it's a great introduction to people who aren't um, jazz fans because what I found, and, and most music is like that, and I do think symphony orchestras need to make this consideration, is most people are music fans. And so they will, if you have a way to... Uh, get to their palate and introduce something without elitism. In the case of jazz, telling them and saying, you must eat your spinach, so listen to Ornette Coleman or something like that, you know, or in the case of an orchestra, it's, uh, uh, what's that, Williams, the composer? Uh, oh, yeah, John Williams. Not John Williams, uh, there's, this maybe not Williams. He's really avant-garde, but he's a living composer. I'm so embarrassed, I don't remember. It might not be Williams. Um, but, you know, people like to feed you that, and that's mm -hmm. cool. I, I love that stuff. If you do that stuff, I think you need to give people um, a bridge to it. Explain what to listen for, how the composer was thinking when he composed it, why he did it that way. That provides that bridge. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's tough in, a, in terms of an orchestra, if everybody walks on with tails, there's a dignity in that that is absolutely important, but it might provide a block for certain people. Agreed. They're like, well, geez, all I got on my jeans. Is it okay to be here? You know, one of the great places to experience classical music, I believe, is in someone's home, as is jazz. A uh, quartet, uh, string quartet or something, it's amazing to experience that and sit in chairs with like eight people. And, you know, so that same experience and that same connection can be made in the concert hall. Um, I wouldn't be, if I was a classical conductor, I wouldn't be afraid to call out, hey, did you hear Joe play the oboe solo on the last thing? Wouldn't that <laughs> give Joe a big round of applause, you right. know? It's like, just make it a little bit more homey and folksy. But I realize that there's a dignity that the musicians have and an, and an honor of that music, and they want to pull it up so that it's respected that way, you know? So yes, I agree. But I, but I think there's, there's a, a pretty good shift with musicians, myself included, understanding uh -huh. that we have to appeal. Uh, we have to reach out, rather. It is yeah. appealing. All the music is appealing to somebody. But we have to reach out. And, you know, yeah. if we take the tails and just go to a regular tux... Mm -hmm. right or if we just wear a suit or a beautiful suit yeah black know, suit black tie you yeah. know and it's still dignified but it does you're right it takes part of that barrier away and allows yeah. people to uh well not that we break the fourth wall right mm -hmm. but but there is a better access to the music yeah so. Yeah, I mean, I so, love classical music is my love and I wanted to succeed and, and I worked for jazz to do the same thing. We have the certain issues. Actually, classical music sells more than jazz in terms of sales. So we have an even bigger issue of getting people to jazz. But this is what I say, and I'll leave the point after this, is that if I can get somebody in the concert hall, I can get you to like jazz. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, I think classical music is the same. Uh, if you can get people in there and you have to use creative things to do that, then it's your job to, to provide that bridge to them. But, you know, I think you mentioned a really important thing. You said uh, being in people's homes. What if the orchestra sent a quartet to do a, a little soiree or whatever sure. they want to call it in somebody's yeah. home? I think you have to meet people where they are yeah. if you want them to come to where you are. Sure, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, it, I don't know that everybody uh, thinks that way, but I see it as, well, how can you miss yeah. <laughs> on something yeah. like that? Yeah, you know? I and mean, I don't want to belabor by this point, but musicians have to be open to the internet rules the world, especially now. See, what COVID-19 has forced us to do is to live our lives in different ways and access things. You and I, I had not heard of Zoom three months ago. 
Yeah, none of us now, had, right? Uh, I'm, I'm on it all day, all the time now. You know, all my meetings are virtual and all that. We're actually in my organization, we're getting rid of one of our offices, which was a five-room office. We just canceled our lease on that. They let us do it because we were doing all our meetings on Zoom and it was working fine. Right. So now we just have one place where we will go for meetings that if we need to meet in person. Yeah. So uh, COVID has forced us to do this. So the big thing now is concert halls and i'll try to be short on this so what i'm trying to do in planning my season next year which begins supposed to begin in october will probably begin in in december even with that i'm having that be a live broadcast or a um a, a live stream mm -hmm. but i've got to think and orchestras need to think what if people still can't come to concert halls what if they can but they don't feel comfortable mm -hmm. every audience member has a different tolerance level. Some say, I'm not going out until they have a vaccine. Some say, I'm not going out until they say, I don't need a mask. Mm -hmm. Some will say, as long as I'm distanced and I can have them. So there's all these different scenarios. So what that says to me is we need, in any case, um, virtual programming where people can go online and look at that. Mm -hmm. and, they, and we have to charge them for it as if it Absolutely. were a concert. Yes. Um, and then we have to do a bunch of free stuff to bring them into that, which is interviews with musicians and maybe somebody giving a sample of what they're going to hear. But just like a corporation thinks, and so the musicians and the public has to be both adaptable. They have to be adaptable anyway, because we have to change it. We as musicians have to be adaptable, realizing that the future of our careers depends upon that. Nobody could have predicted that this would, uh, this would be a catalyst to something as drastic as what's going to come out on the other side, right? Yes. This yes. is no slow evolution of an industry. This is get your stuff together right now or otherwise you're left behind. Right. There are orchestras that, that have given up. Nashville, yeah. uh, New York is not. Some people said we are not doing anything until 2021. Um, for me, that's not an option. I think that we have to. So I give Facebook things every week. I do Facebook interviews like this one, mm -hmm. but I also do performances on Facebook Live not necessarily always featuring me. I have vocalists, I have instrumentalists, I have one every Sunday until we go back into business, I'll be doing it. And we probably won't be able to stop it because people will like, like it. That's our connection currently. Yeah. But I do not want people to forget the music we provide, nor should any orchestra. Well, you know, I don't even think the patron will agree that online content is the best. Right. It gets us through times like this. Yes. But I would venture to say, you know, my wife and I drove out last night to get something and we passed a restaurant that was absolutely packed. And I, I said to her, I said, people cannot wait. People are, are they want to get back, you know, so the restaurants. But I, I think it's going to be that same thing when orchestras finally open up is people are going to want that live experience again. Yes, absolutely. They will. Yeah. They will. In the meantime, we tease them. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I, you know what? I have not yet been brave enough uh, to, to put myself out there. You know, I've got a lot of friends. Uh, Morris Northcutt. I don't know if you know Morris. But know Morris. Uh, you should, because he's a terrific trumpet player, lives out in uh, Seattle. But yeah. he's always putting great content on yeah. Facebook. A terrific, terrific player. You know, Can you spell and, his name and I'll write it out and then everybody will know about it. Morris? Yeah, know. I actually interviewed him. I haven't posted his yet, but Morris Northcutt, N-O-R-T-H-C-U and two T's at the end. C-U-T-T. -T. Yeah. yeah. And just a great player. Um, and Rex, you know, he's putting stuff out. And yeah. uh, Mary Elizabeth Bowden, you know, all these great players. Alvazuti's putting good stuff out. Right. Always. And, you know, but it's like, um, I, I'm not 
comfortable. It's like you live and die by your last performance. I don't want to put anything out there that's uh, that's not good. You know? Right. So absolutely. Yeah. I'll wait. I'll wait my turn. <laughs> I'll wait my turn. So, well, um, yeah. So, well, let's talk trumpet. We haven't said a whole lot about that just yet. Sure. Um, uh, you're still practicing during the summer here. Or what? What Have kind to, of stuff yeah. are you working on these days? Are you a new rep? Are you writing? Are you um, all of that. So a typical thing with me is I do, I try to do a warm up, but I do di try to make that different because I feel that if I'm always doing the same thing, my playing sings that way. So I always try to figure out new ways to warm up in any kind of routine, which makes me nervous, the word, because I don't want my routine to become routine. Mm -hmm. So I try to figure out how I can make everything I play uh, be a part of growth to make me you know, a better player. So I'm gonna uh, go to any standard method books and you know, I have a million of them and I just pick and choose. My new thing, what I've been doing is I copy and make a notebook of what I wanna currently practice. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. So I have a bunch of flow studies I copied and that way I don't have to have a whole bunch of different books and I put everything in one notebook. So yeah. I have, like all these flow studies I'm doing, I make sure I do some, uh, Bill Adam has some good exercises, Slossberg, you know, ones I haven't done, I've been trying during this quarantine to do all this stuff like, yeah, I really need to get to that one. Some of the stuff in the back of this Lost Berg, you know, I've seen Ray Mace does a lot of those. He recommended so I was like, yeah, let me do some of those. Then I get into etudes pretty quickly, which is something I learned from our friend Vinny DiMartino, who mm -hmm. used to really push me on etudes. He's like, you know, you have to get out of exercises pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And I would also learn that great lesson from another teacher, Charlie Geyer. Um, who I took from at Eastman School of Music. And I was an exercise guy. I could play the Clark studies upside down. And, and Vinny had told me to memorize them, you know. Mm -hmm. See, I didn't study formally with Vinny, but he said, if I'm teaching a lesson, you can come watch. Oh, so wow. I would just sit there and drool. And uh, yeah, because <laughs> I had never, and at the same time I was sitting beside him in a, in a band they had called the Arrangers Holiday back in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. And Vinny played lead trumpet in that. And so many lessons from him. I'll give you a couple quick ones. Uh, he said, um, these arrangers, it was for arrangers. It was a workshop for, and they were all really good, but they were still learning. Then mm -hmm. he said, I always play what they write, even if it's hard. And I play the crap out of it. He goes, then I tell them how stupid it was to write that hard. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, he had the credibility to do yes. that, right. you know? So they would respect him like, wow, I wrote this hard stuff. It was too high. It was too technical. It was too stupid. It wasn't musical. So he'd do it. And he'd go, that's like the stupidest thing I've ever played. Why the heck? And he'd do it offline, like on the sure. side. Like, Why would you write this? It's ridiculous. You know, he did that. Uh, he, um, he had a thing with conductors. He, he would, he would tell them if they, he couldn't follow their beats. Like what? First he'd nail it. He goes, but I can't follow that. Like he was very, right clear um again the reason you can do any of that and nobody ever thought of him as being a drag because he could always deliver on the plane right <laughs> and so uh also with improvisation they pass out charts with really hard changes stupid changes sometimes that didn't make sense he would play them sound great and say these are horrible change why why are you writing these things you know so that's what i learned from him become less of a complainer do it like mm. deliver and then if you've got something to say about it say that or or don't say it you know so he was a guy who walked his talk and he for me said it's all about the etude so he had this aaron harris book he had the the which i don't know if you know it's got all these sort of violin things and mm -hmm. stuff in the back 
he would play those for me and students. Um, so in addition to that, uh, tons of Slossberg, tons of any kind of thing like that. And then he uh, would, would send me to improvisation and tell me how to practice that. And one of the things I, I, I never forget, he says, stripling, you know, you, and this would be a classic Vinny quote, which you'll recognize. He say, your time sucks, you know, but he said it with such love that yeah, right. like, it's like, I love you, but your time sucks, right. you know, and he's being blamed. He goes, don't play anything without a metronome for a couple of years. I'm like, oh, this is serious, you know, but that was his prescription. Like, okay, take this medicine, be deliberate about it. And when I'm with you, I'm going to hold you accountable to that. Whether I'm sitting you in a section or whether we're going to hang for a, a couple hours and play duets. I'm going to, you're speeding, you're rushing, you're slowing down, you know. So this is to me the best teaching because it gives you, as I said before, so much credibility. You walk your talk. It's the real thing is, is uh, I'm telling you this, and I do it with my own teaching now. If I tell you to do something, I'll actually do it for you first. Mm -hmm. This is a leadership principle, mm -hmm. too. Leaders go first, mm -hmm. right? So I should be the first one. Like, we just took salary cuts in my organization. I took the first one. Wow. But That's I have terrible. to. I have to lead. Why, how can I say, I'm making a whole bunch of money. Y'all need to take a cut. That, that's not leadership. Mm -hmm. Leadership is we go first and we set the example. And that's the way Vinny taught. So that, I'm, that's to answer your long answer to your question. That's when I'm practicing improvisation, new, learning new songs I haven't done, learning new etudes I hadn't practiced, and, and that kind of thing. Well, I'm glad you gave the long answer. That was worth it. I mean, there's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of great stuff in there. Well, um, have you, are you familiar with this new... Um, uh, what do you call it? Online thing. It's called Q Press. Oh that's yeah, oh yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and I've even reordered stuff that I already had because yep. I can just sort of print out one sheet. Yeah, you know, on, uh, the on, Peach. I uh, think the last thing I ordered were the Peach yep. books, and you know, of course, I'm doing everything off of iPad yeah. these days. So, so you, you can know, just keep it there. Download and it's there, and yeah. the stuff that it's been out of print forever. Right, they've re-engraved and, yeah. and now it's available. No, that's a great resource. I go to a lot of the stuff that they, they're now publishing that have been out of print. And I realized looking at that, how some of the newer things were modeled after these old trumpet methods. I've seen exact exercises from that. So that's been fun to, to check out where people mm -hmm. get their stuff from. You, you mentioned the leadership. Uh, what I had learned along the way is uh, do it for them, mm. do it with them, Yes. Have them do it with you. Have yeah. them do it by themselves. Right. I mean, it's exactly what I you're like saying. That. It's, that, it's that evolution. I have to write that, that down. Go back. <laughs> do uh, it. Do for it for them. them. Mm -hmm. Do it with them. Have them do it with you. Have them do it by themselves. By yourself. You know, it's it's like you know, riding a bike. You're you're helping them along as yeah. they take those training wheels off, right? Yeah. And you, and I think, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, I, I think, one of the most effective ways to teach uh, or reach somebody. Yeah, sure, you know, sure. It's not about the teaching can only happen when you actually reach. Uh, yeah. You get somebody's attention and they, they know what to do. So, right, right. Yeah. Uh, can I come study with you? <laughs> no, it should be the other way around. No, 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 no. Are you kidding? <laughs> this is, and, uh, you know, of course, I have a lot of fun doing these interviews because this is what it turns uh, this is really just a free lesson. Don't <laughs> don't tell anybody. Right? I like that. No, it's not. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, it, like a lot of other people, though, these downtimes, it's sometimes hard to find the motivation 
to pick up the mm -hmm. horn. Or have you experienced that at all? The one thing I have, because I could lie and say, "Oh no, I'm a I'm a master," you know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I find found that it ebbs and flows, and I've been uh, reading, and people say, "Yeah, that's what what it's going to be," because this is a long period of time. Yes. Um, so the gigs help me when I do these Facebook Live things. I know I've got to have my chops up to a certain level, right. but I came in here uh, guns blazing. It's like, man, I'm going to make my plan. I'm going to keep, you know, and then. And then you get a thing like, oh, geez, this is long. This is taking a while and sort of a kind of cool out for a little bit. And I'll miss a few days. And then I'm like, okay, got to get back at it. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, at first I was feeling guilty about that. But I found a lot of people were saying, yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. yeah. So we can be comfortable with that ebb and flow. I, I also have a list of books I want to read. So yeah. that's part of it too, you know. Yeah. Um, my house is... We have so many books, it's ridiculous. There's probably a thousand books over on the shelf over mm -hmm. in the corner here, and then 500 more behind that too. Mm -hmm. So I, I, my goal is all my life to read every single one of those. Some of them ever, are my parents, you know. Yeah. Do you have a particular genre that you like? What do you like? Uh, nonfiction usually. Um, I like travel things where people have written about their travels. It's a great. Uh, God, I forget the one of my favorite books is called Travels with Charlie. Oh, yeah. It's a great yeah. book. Just about, you know, traveling, a guy traveling with his dog, you know. Mm -hmm. um, right now I'm reading, um, a guy created an autobiography of Martin Luther King. He never wrote one, but he calls it an autobiography because he sort of took those things from his life that personal papers, letters, mm -hmm. and speeches, and he created what he called an autobiography. Mm -hmm. And that's been fun to read, too. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. Well, let's talk about travel for a minute. I mean, uh, I... I would imagine you've been all over the world. Is that true? Been, yeah, I've been fortunate. I mean, I have not been to China or Russia, um, but I'd like to get to China. I don't mm -hmm. know if I'm, I want to go to Russia at, at this point, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and all of that uh, mixed between being a soloist and with other groups. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so when I left Eastman School of Music, um, I was literally on the road with no home for probably 10 years before I settled in New York. And so that was all travel. Every year we went to, you know, you have to understand that jazz was and still is tremendously popular, more popular back then. Um, they really loved the culture of what jazz was. So when I left school, I've probably spent in terms of a yearly thing, probably nine to 10 weeks out of a year in Europe, mm. you know, and then maybe Japan every other year for three weeks, we would go, you know, so, and this is with multiple different groups or multiple different things, but I definitely went there with the Count Basie band, the Woody Herman Orchestra, Lionel Hampton's band, Woody Herman's band, Buck Clayton had a band, I went, you know, then I started doing my own sort of solo tours of Europe right. where they would put me with, I used to do tours of Poland with a Poland jazz, small jazz band, yeah. It was the first time I got AOL and some guy on AOL, you know, this is like 1991 or something, right. you know, just got an email together. He's like, would you like to come to Poland? And I did my first booking online. I will send you a ticket. Come to Poland, play with my band. Here is a video, you know. <laughs> but this is before YouTube. I can't remember if I saw the video or not. Maybe that was later. Yeah. I want, and I said, as long as you pay me when I walk off the plane, you know. <laughs> Then, because I know we're honest, then you know, right, 
Right. Gave me half, you know, and then that was my first gig via email, and everything else since then has been email. Yeah, how about you realize that? people don't even negotiate really anymore verbally? It's all email because it's easier. Well, how, did set, how did we set this up? That's how true. Set, yeah, right. I mean, it was. Uh, yeah, I could have called you. Yeah, uh, but it's it's easier. It's faster. Yeah, and it, it's not as impersonal, I think, as a lot of people. You know, I try to make my communication personal. Sure. It's not just hey. You want to talk? <laughs> you know, it was. I was trying to be respectful in, sure, and yeah, you know, I yeah. uh, you know uh, did that. But um, uh, uh, you mentioned Basie. Were you in uh, Mike Williams? You you guys had to have been in that at the same time. Sure. So when I got there, actually, um, I was there for a while. Then Mike came on to as a fourth trumpet player. He became mm -hmm. highly recommended. And then I went and left and did a show called Satchmo, America's Musical Legend. So then they moved Mike up and he played lead because they had known that he could play lead. And then when I finished that show, about eight months run of that, then uh, they asked me to come back and Mike went back to the fourth. And then uh, I, I came back as the lead player. I stayed another year or so and then Mike became the permanent lead player. We call him Swamp Dog. Yeah, right. So <laughs> I interviewed him last year at ITG down in Miami. Yeah. What a hoot. He's and, crazy. And he's a great, he's another great storyteller. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just, and, and so he I could always tell a great story. Yeah. But you know, he does the thing. He eats the hot peppers and blows his head off. He's, he's crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He cooked gumbo dog. with me and Swamp Dog. And no, he's a Louisiana guy. Um, right. we, he cooked gumbo for me in California with a friend of ours, Danny House. And, and it was a great gumbo, and we tasted it. Mike, this is amazing. He goes, it needs one more thing. I said, what? He goes, squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> and he's serious, right? He's totally serious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I said serious, and my iPad yep. <laughs> responded to me. It has to my phone sometimes. Yeah. Well, here we are at the middle of the interview. Just a reminder for you to visit Messina Covers, the Eastman Music Company, and S.E. Shires for access to top-shelf instruments. All three businesses provide exceptional customer service and will help put the right instruments and cases into your hands. Now back to today's interview. So how, how long were you with the, the Basie Band in total? So probably on and off about four years. Uh, you know, there's amazing experiences that happened there because we Basie had just died when I got there. But we still had amazing legends on the band, like Freddie Green, who's gone, Danny Turner, who's gone, Eric Dixon, who's gone. So many of the guys have left. Mel Wanzo, who was lead trombone player for for years. Sonny Cohen is gone, who was there for 25 years. So I was on a, the bus with guys, and I've always been attracted to older men anyway, just from the knowledge that they have. And my parents always said, when you're around older people, be respectful and basically just shut up and listen to them and let them. That's an old Southern. I'm from Georgia. And they're like, you know, you respect the older people. I used to be like, when we would go to church, my mom would be like, the old ladies love you because, mom, they want to kiss me. And I was like, you let them kiss you. <laughs> right. Like, oh, they love you. Yeah. So let them, they see this young, you know, I was a kid. Let them love you, you know. And, and there and, was nothing wrong with it. Right. I mean, that yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So um, in, in regards to the Basie Band, there were so many things that happened. We're, we're, we're playing every night behind Frank Sinatra, behind Tony Bennett with Sarah Vaughn, with Ella Fitzgerald. You know, the first time we're riding to the venue to see Ella Fitzgerald um, or to go play with her, 
I'm scared. And the guys, this is an interesting thing. The guys told me, hey, when we get to uh, rehearsal with Ella, uh, we're going to all get off the bus and go give her a hug and a kiss. And I'm like, I don't know her. Like, you guys work with her all the time. I don't know her, so I'm not going to join that. And check this out. They said, no, you have to do it because if you don't give her a hug and a kiss, she'll think you don't like her. Oh, wow. Like, that's how insecure she was. This really? lady who could go on stage and knock the, the the roof off with her singing was so insecure. And they're like, no, you've got to give her a hug. And she wants to know, know you will introduce you and that kind of thing. But wow. then at the same time, I was we were in these European tours. Every summer we went to Europe for three weeks as well as we would go in the fall or the, the winter. And I'm on the plane and the guy goes, hey, Miles is up in first class. We want to introduce you to, to, to Miles because Miles was on this thing, mm -hmm. on this tour, this European tour. I said, wow, that'd be amazing. So uh, uh, how old are you at this point? At, I'm 23. Okay, so, so yeah. Young. So yeah. I walk up to the, the front of the thing and the guys are say, hey, Miles, we want you to meet our new lead trumpet player. This is Byron Stripling. And he says, you're a big, he said, MF, you're a big MF, you know, I went, Ooh. and then, then he started punching me like this and just like hitting me real hard. And I said, come on, man, stop. Because Miles always challenged people. Like he would, wow. just, you have to like tell them, you know, there's that whole thing my dad said, you have to teach people how to treat you, you know? Wow. Well, that was certainly true with Miles. Like, so he wasn't going to stop. So I said, come on, man, stop. Like, you know, but Miles just to fancy himself a boxer. So, but it was fine. It was a fine interaction. I walked down to baggage claim with him and uh, he met this lady named Simone, who was a big European producer and concert promoter, uh, who was very famous in the jazz world. So I'm standing with him and Simone waiting for the bags to come out, just trying to make what little small talk I could with Miles because he wasn't really a talker. Mm -hmm. And so Miles looked at Simone, who was in charge of everything. And uh, by this time, the local promoter had come out in addition to her. And Miles said, um, I want everybody in this band uh, to have tickets for the concert tonight. You know, Miles had the, you know, very soft voice. He had lost his voice from screaming at a guy after a throat, you know, operation for those that don't know. So the, the local promoter said, oh, I'm very sorry, Mr. Davis. The concert is completely sold out. We don't have tickets for anybody. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, your friends cannot attend. And Miles said, well, then I'm not playing. <laughs> and it got really funny, you know, yeah. so Simone, who was a problem solver. It's all about wanting to solve problems. She goes, right. Miles, this is no problem. We will get the guys in the band. We will put seats on the stage and they can sit on the stage with you as you perform. Even better, right? Done, yeah, right. So I got, and that happened twice with Miles for mm -hmm. me. Happened also when I was playing with a group led by Slide Hampton, the great trombone player. And we would sit on stage. And so I got to sit and just watch Miles perform. Mm -hmm. This is later in his career. But just get that vibe and that that energy of who and what Miles was. What did so, that feel like? Um, it was, you know, there was a lot. Miles was very, the music was always great. You know, you know, it was a different part of his career. It was different chops, but still great. And he still sounded like Miles and still creative. Played a lot of piano, a little bit of trumpet. When you heard the trumpet, like, that's Miles Davis. Mm -hmm. That's what. So that was amazing. There was also... Miles was always a showman, and people don't like when I say this, but I believe that if you turn your back to the audience, that's a show. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
right? So he turned it, he often turned his back and and then that can get you on the front pages of the paper. At this time, he had begun to lose hair, so he got a hair weave. And mm -hmm. what he was wearing essentially would be costumes. Mm -hmm. That's a show. So people talk about Louis Armstrong always gave a show, man. He was more of a showman than a trumpet player. Well, that was part of his tradition. And there's a long thing with that. You can interview a guy named mm -hmm. Ricky Riccardi for that. He wrote a book called What a Wonderful World. He has a new one called something about Louis Armstrong and swing. But he mm -hmm. can give you the whole chronology of why entertainment was so important to Louis Armstrong. It was to Miles, too, just in a different way. Guess what sold Dizzy Gillespie? Puff Cheeks. Dizzy right. told me, I never had a publicist. I said, why? He goes, my cheeks always sold it for me. <laughs> people, people knew exactly who I was, which leads me to my next Basie story. We did a six-week tour with um, Dizzy Gillespie and Billy Eckstein. Well, I had toured with Dizzy's big band. John Faddis got me that gig. Uh, they let me leave the Basie band to do that too for mm -hmm. three weeks. So I knew Dizzy well, plus Faddis, I hung with him and him and Lou Soloff all the time in New York. Lou Soloff is gone, I love him, yeah. like a brother. Um, so John had gotten me on Dizzy's band. I knew Dizzy from that. So when Dizzy came to do this Basie tour, I was in charge of his bags and all that stuff because he didn't carry me. So I was with Dizzy 24 seven for <laughs> five weeks, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, during that period of time, um, after we finished that tour, uh, I moved to New York and, and he called me up one day. He says, hey, I'm getting the Kennedy Center Award. I said, yeah, I heard. Congratulations. He goes, well, you know, my wife, I think it was Lorraine, you know, Lorraine doesn't like to leave the house. I was like, yeah. He goes, would you sit behind me? Uh, and I couldn't because I had just started this Broadway show called um, City of oh. Angels. Uh, which was written by Cy Coleman, but the arranger was Billy Byers, and it was great music. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't leave because the first three or four weeks of a Broadway show, you can't sub out. So I mm -hmm. couldn't leave. But I was honored that that Dizzy asked me uh, for that. You know, I've it, I just have great memories of being around Dizzy uh, during that period of time. It's uh, you know, uh, Mike told a great Dizzy story, I guess, with the Basie band when yep. uh, when uh, Dizzy had a a mic still on when he went to the bathroom. I don't know if were you part of the I, I wasn't no so I'll, I'll send you that clip it's out on one of the other interviews and uh but had he had me in stitches on that it's a, it's a great story uh so you mentioned Louis Armstrong yes uh and of course that's how I first experienced you live was okay. this uh tribute to mm -hmm. uh Louis and Ella right with yep. you and Carmen yeah um how did all that come about uh I mean obviously you're a fan of Louis Armstrong uh -huh. but how did that whole uh uh, tribute come about? Um, I'll try to give you a short version. I'll do the best I I'll, can. I'll take the long version if you want to. It's, I'll it's make it a somewhat longer. Okay. So uh, in about 1987, 86, I'm horrible with years. I was reading in Downbeat Magazine and also the Musicians Union newspaper. Can you play like Louis Armstrong? Uh, we are auditioning to do a show. So I was like, I can do that. You know, and uh, so I went and auditioned for it, and they had auditions in five cities, including Los Angeles, New York, Washington, D.C., uh, a couple other states and cities. Um, and so I auditioned, and I got immediately got a call back. And then after uh, the call back, they let me you know I was a five, and I went to my final audition in New York, and I got the job. The show was called Satchmo, America's Musical Legend. Uh, the directors were Jerry Billiken and Joe Layton. It was choreographed by Maurice Hines, who's Gregory Hines' brother and still a good friend okay. to, to this day. 
Uh, you also introduced me to my wife, so I'm thankful for that. Um, so I did that show. We closed probably after six months of rehearsals and performances. Uh, we had we did the Kennedy Center, um, and so I started in the show as Louis Armstrong, and with it was a cast of probably about fifty people. It was a huge production, dancers and musicians on stage and, and that whole thing. An amazing learning experience for me. I learned, and, and I do to this day, add theatrical acts, aspects to how I think about how to put together a show. Uh, that was a great learning experience. My acting coach, who I insisted that I would have if I were to do the role, I told the producer, I'll do this, but you have to get me to New York, house me six weeks before the first rehearsal and let me work with an acting coach. She goes, wow, that's a good idea. I'm like, I know, and that's what you got to do if you want me. Yeah. <laughs> he was a great producer. His name was Kenneth Fell. He was the owner of Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, as well as uh, a couple ice shows. He's still a good man, and occasionally I get to touch base with him. So I did that show, and then that show closed, but I made some great friendships and associations with that. I had tons of, um, of what do you call, uh, publicity for that, Entertainment Tonight and all those kind of shows I was doing. So a guy named Bill Cosell, I was able to download that name, uh, called me up and he said, uh, hey, I just saw you on Entertainment Tonight. Um, would you, and I heard your show closed, would you like to, to play uh, uh, a Louis Armstrong tribute uh, to with the Boston Pops and John Williams? And I said, no, I've got to get my legs waxed. So I said, no, of course, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's going that's going in the show quotes right there <laughs> no i've got to get my legs waxed <laughs> so i have to tell you a trick a quick trumpet story too uh, regarding this thing so he's we we arranged it uh i had heard the arrangements that the boston pops did and even at i was 26 by this time and some of them i didn't like and i wanted to direct it towards what i liked I said, I'd like my friend Manny Album to do it. Manny has since passed away, but he's an amazing arranger. And they have their staff arrangers, and they said, well, I'll have to ask. I'll have to ask John Williams. So they asked John Williams, and it was so cool. He's like, absolutely, let's have Manny Album do the arrangement. Okay, so he did it. We had a Louis Armstrong medley that was 15 minutes that I did with the Boston Pops. In the rehearsal for that, I went up to the dressing room. I could see it now because I've played with the Boston Pops probably a million times since then. Mm -hmm. And I, and I go up in that room and uh, I see John Williams sitting there and we're going to do a, a piano trumpet rehearsal with John so he can hear what's going on. And I'm such a typical trumpet player. I'm like, I've got to impress John Williams in this small room. And I really just needed to mark my part. I didn't need to play. I'm like, as we say, it's balls to the walls. I got to let this guy know I can do this. And there was all this high stuff. I had a thing called Shine, which Louis recorded, which just has a really cool cadenza that leads up to an high F. And I'm like, I'm a trumpet player. I'm like, I got to nail this high F so John Williams knows I got it, man. You know, it's like, you know, because every gig's an audition until you're there, you know. I just remember John Williams being so sweet and the whole rehearsal going like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> and he would turn the page of the score <laughs> he would mm -hmm. go, but i didn't get it you know how dense we are as trouble right, players right. it's like i want to show him all this stuff so he was so sweet and i always wanted to talk to him about that period of time and mm -hmm. and, and it's like john i just want to apologize to you for that because he never said man can you play a little softer you know right. i don't know if you ever stayed with carmine caruso 
um, in New York. But he would wear headphones when you would play these, uh, like what the airplane people oh, wear. Right, you know? right. And that's what John Williams needed for my <laughs> for my thing. Anyway, John was sweet, and then I went on to do a couple more gigs with them. And then since then, I've gotten to play a lot with Keith Lockhart, um, mm -hmm. who is the current conductor and a great person and a great, great friend. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the Louis Armstrong trumpet playing is one thing, but what about the singing? So what I always tried to, in the show, I did a little bit of um, his gravel in the voice, but it actually hurts your voice to do that. So I didn't emphasize that too much. So part of my character development was try to get things like the walk, a little bit of the accent, but just the feeling and the spirit of who and what he was. Mm -hmm. And so your text, as, a, as an acting coach would tell you, your, check, your text and what you say will help you in that. Um, but also being imbued with the reality of who you knew this man was. And so I had probably read five or six books about him. Mm -hmm. And Carmine Caruso even told me when I told him I was doing that, he was so helpful for me, he's a great trumpet teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and he said, you've got to step into those shoes. You've got to play with those recordings and you have to become him. And you know, and he was just saying that because I just happened to mention it, but he immediately jumped on it. And he was exactly right. So vocally, I wasn't so concerned with making people hear like, because, and, and that can drive you crazy a little bit, but you can give a little bit of that. Like sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, and just right. give a little of those. And then you still save your voice from that. Right. And then I, I would sing with his phrasing, but not give a lot of gravel. Yeah. So. Did you ever get to hear him live? No, I'm not that old. <laughs> no, well, no, I, you know, I understand. No, but to your point, I mean, I heard Duke Ellington live mm -hmm. four times. I heard Count Basie all the time. Mm -hmm. Woody Herman's band, Buddy Rich's band all the time. But then my father was a classical singer. So I heard Marilyn Horn, Leontine Price, Beverly mm -hmm. Sills. I heard Pavarotti and any other good people. We heard, I lived in Minnesota at the time. We heard the Minnesota Orchestra all the time. Charlie Schluter was playing first trumpet. Uh, I just saw him in St. Louis where he's retired and mm -hmm. he took me out to lunch. And, and uh, you know, that, that was a cool thing to, mm -hmm. to be around and hear trumpet sounds like that at an early right. age. Back then, Charlie was playing a Bach. And I just remember Tchaikovsky fourth and just remember him just singing over the orchestra with his beautiful sound, you know. Mm -hmm. And I really like that Bach trumpet. I'm not a trumpet yeah. geek guy, but I love that Bach yeah. sound he got. You know? Yeah. Well, didn't he finish his career on a Monette? Yes. Yeah. That was the point I was making. Yes. <laughs> That's why I followed up on that, right? <laughs> I, I love Charlie Schluter, and, yeah. and, and, and I have nothing bad to say about him. Yeah. Oh, so many great players out there. Yeah. And, and that's another thing I'm having a, a blast, you know, trying to get in touch with all you guys. Sure. You know, yeah. and, and well, maybe uh, I can help you with some phone numbers. You know. Well, I, I'll, I'm going to take you up on that at the end of this. I'll, sure. I'll get some other ideas. Yeah. You know, uh, Mike even had mentioned, uh, of course, Polly Cohen's gone, right? I, but, Polly Cohen might be still around. Uh, but, you know, he's like, you need to reach out to some of these guys. And I guess yeah. somebody's living in Cincinnati. I'm going to edit this part out. Uh, somebody's living mm -hmm. in Cincy that used to play, you know, an old, old guy with the band. But um, uh, those, those are the people, you know, before they're gone, right? I mean, yes. the, yeah. the, the stories they could tell, um, I think. Are just, you, you basically yeah. have the, the opportunity with what you're doing to get a history that a lot of people, if you can get somebody that's a little bit lesser unknown, um, you know, you have yeah. a, the opportunity to get a historic interview with some yeah. of these guys. Yeah. You know, Malcolm McNabb, 
uh, gave me over two hours of of stories, wow. and I and I had to tell him, Malcolm, I got somewhere to be. I'm sorry to stop the interview, right? But you know, uh, oh, where was I headed with that? Oh, uh, I'm all distracted at the moment uh, because I didn't want to forget to mention Bria Sconberg. Gray Stone Stoneberg? Uh Bria, B R I A. Oh, Bria Sconberg. Yeah. That's my girl. Yeah. So, yes. I mean, uh Have I you interviewed her? No, I want to, but I think she, what a fantastic player and she can sing like oh my gosh, what a voice. You I'll give you her her number. Call her up. She'll yeah. she'll, she'll be there in, in a yeah. hot second. But She's you know, great. somebody who can and you close your eyes, it's like, well, that's Louis Armstrong, right? You know, it's there, there are people. Oh, and what was the challenge on Facebook? It was uh, oh, West End uh, Blues, West End Blues, right? You know, all these people yeah. and a lot of really good, really yeah. good uh, performances that made it on and, yeah. and some kind of square, right? But yeah, uh, that's not everybody's specialty. That's why right, I didn't right. post anything, so I shouldn't criticize. But, um, <laughs> oh, and, you know, I was at Roger Ingram's house. Uh, a couple of years back and uh, he was restoring mutes at the time and he still got a collection. Okay. So he yeah. opens this cabinet up and he says, uh, you know, here's this mute. And then he hands me another. He says, uh, yeah, this is a uh, Louis Armstrong straight mute. I said, Oh, cool. You know, his brand, his model. He goes, no, this was Lewis's straight mute. He left it on a piano after a gig. And I guess, I don't know what provenance there is, you know, I said, but may I hold it? Of course, you know, I put it in my horn and played a little bit. You know, but there's something about that tactile, you know, if yes. it really was, you know, yeah. that's as close as I'm ever going to get, you know, yeah. to Louis yeah. Armstrong, but still. A, yeah, I want you to interview, uh, which I I can shoot you my interview, but this this guy I told you about before, Ricky Ricardi, he is the yeah. world's authority on Louis Armstrong. Yeah. And if you go to Queens College, where the Louis Armstrong archives are, and also the house is very close to their two Louis Armstrong house, mm -hmm. uh, he will let you play Louis Armstrong's trumpets. Uh, oh my so there, there's that tree. But I'll, in, one last story on on him and, and what they do. So people call them up at the Armstrong house and say, hey, I'm in New York. I'm landing. You said this was possible. Can I come to the Louis Armstrong house now straight from the airport? I really want to see it. Mm -hmm. And they say, you know, if they're available, they're like, absolutely, come on. And, you know, you can leave your luggage. We'll, we'll help you put it somewhere where it's safe. Mm -hmm. He said that people walk in and they start crying mm. because it's the effect of Louis Armstrong's music out of all those years. You know, Louis Armstrong said, I'm here because of happiness. And you certainly felt that when you played or heard his music. And it's that smile, that genuine smile, that naturalness where every, he had so many things that we would consider to be faults. You know, he smoked too much cigarettes. He smoked marijuana. He drank too much. Um, he was overweight. He ate too many fatty foods and had a heart attack, all that stuff. And then you look at that, it's like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's I do the same things, too. Mm -hmm. So these days, you know, if you want to be a quote unquote star, you have to have your vegetarian chef and all that. Louis Armstrong was just about having a great time and making other people happy. And in, in essence, serving people through the great music he did. And people felt it all over the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that still resonates again when people walk in that house and they realize that they were Satchmo's house, this guy that provided them so much joy in their life. And they well up and they still cry because his music was that powerful. Who, who do you think embodies that today? Who, can you think of people? I mean, I would actually include you 
in that because oh, as I no. mentioned at the beginning, your ability to connect, there's a there's a sincerity, there's a genuine Well, yeah, I appreciate quality. I hope you yeah, I hope I have a sincerity in that. The, you know, you Louis Armstrong was so unique. You have to realize that this is a guy who came from a place where didn't know his father, uh, didn't know who his father was. We think his mother and possibly his sister were prostitutes, um, but he loved her, you know, uh, and he loved both of them. But he was able to rise above all of that. That's the American dream, that out of suffering comes great art. You know what I'm saying? So this is important to where we are now with the riots and all of that. Um, to know that America is about dreams and people have through whether they're immigrants, whether they're black people or whatever, they've taken what they've been given and they've turned, talk about turning lemons into lemonades. They turn all that sorrow into joy and happiness and inevitably peace, you know? And I have to tell you, I don't want to get political here, but that's sort of the black tradition. If you remember, do you remember Dylan Roof? He's the guy who went and killed all the people in the South Carolina church. They were having- Oh, a, yes, yes. That's Dylan. So they were having a prayer meeting, right? Sitting in a circle. Mm -hmm. And he comes in and they look at him and they go, come on in. So that, that's, I have to tell you, that's the black tradition. That's the, the tradition I know. So this white guy comes in and it's all black church. I've been to the church. I've, I told when I went to play the South Carolina, I said, take me to that church. Because I, I just need to honor that and what happened there. And so they said, come on in. And he sat with them and they welcomed him with open arms, you know. And then he, I don't know if you've heard this. He said, I almost thought of not doing it because they were so loving and welcoming to me to their, mm -hmm. their prayer meeting. And then it just broke. And then he started shooting all those people. Mm -hmm. Those people immediately, like the next day, they talked about forgiveness. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what, what their thing was. It wasn't like, we hate you. you blah, blah. To me, that's the black tradition I know. It's like, you immediately like, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into religion either, but that's what religion says in terms of if it's, if it's Christianity. Mm -hmm. It's like the ultimate in forgiveness. Some people live that and they act on it. Some people talk about it. And as we talked about with private teaching, it's all about your actions, actually the things that you do. And I'm just so proud that I'm a part of a tradition of people who try there's bad in every in every race creed and color but i've been around so many people who act that who they put feet to their prayers they put mm -hmm. feet to their actions that they say what they say they want to do they do it and, mm -hmm. and i'm just proud of that so. you know i actually thought about talking about some of this before the sure. interview started yeah yeah. And and I'm glad you brought that up because uh, sure. I think it would have been awkward. <laughs> um, no, not with but, me. You can bring up anything. You know, you, I think you answered one of my questions is I'm afraid to react or to say anything because, you know, <laughs> I'm, have I suffered? No. And, and I mean, yes, but not, I, I'm, and that's what I'm saying. Different I'm afraid thing. even saying, yeah. I'm afraid to even say that right now because there's no comparison right and it's like what can i do to i mean i can't empathize but what can i do to sympathize and what can i say to you and and i truly think you know 
you're my fellow man, right? I, I want to love everybody out there. And I'm embarrassed and ashamed for, you know, the way a lot of people act. But what can I do to, well, to let you and, and other communities know that I'm with you? But you just did it already. You called me up and said, I want to interview you. Mm. You could have just been afraid and like, I don't even want to go there. They got to figure that mm. stuff out before I talk to Byron. Mm. So your life is already there. Mm. There's nothing for you to do except just continue who you are and, and have empathy. But you have your struggles too. And I want to, I want to honor and acknowledge whatever struggles you are. Here's what I will mention to you about what I struggle with, which you might not know. I told you that I do a walk every day. Mm-hmm. My wife now walks with me because she's afraid if I get stopped by the police that they might kick my ass. But that's my, but that's my, that might be a little different than what you think about in going out for a walk. Now, whenever I get stopped, I've been stopped in my life uh, three times by the police, speeding, <laughs> I drive too fast. <laughs> And I might have made a wrong turn. I can't remember what it was. I have to tell you, every one of those was positive interactions. Mm-hmm. I called a policeman to one time I stupidly in New York left my garage door open and I left the door into the house open. And I'm like, somebody must have robbed the house, you know? So I called the police. The guy walked through, white guy, policeman, walked through my whole house with me. Mm. He took out his billy club. And he had good humor about it. He goes, this happens all the time. You probably left your garage open. But let me go. Let's look through underneath all the beds and in the closets. We'll do that together. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. I've also seen films of people doing things that they shouldn't have done police-wise. Mm-hmm. So are all policemen bad? My All my interactions with policemen have been good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do not, you know? And, and that's great. Um, and I try to be respectful, although... I'll tell you this quick. He wouldn't. There's a great trumpet player. Do you know Clay Jenkins? I know the Clay. name. Okay. Clay teaches jazz. There's a, a white trumpet player who teaches jazz at um, Leesman School of Music. I just mm-hmm. did part of his sabbatical for him for a couple weeks. And uh, he's from Texas. And I love him. He's my uh, like my brother, you know. And so we were driving to the International Trumpet Guild. It was raining. He was driving. We rented a car. We were both playing in the Count Basie band. He was going like a bat out of hell. He must have been going 80 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were going to Santa Barbara from Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Santa Barbara, California, like two, three hour drive. Going crazy because we wanted to see whatever we wanted to see. Somebody was playing. So we get stopped and the thing goes on. And uh, so he's an old Texas boy. He goes... The guy's pulled up behind us. The siren's going. He goes, Byron, I'll be right back. And he run. I was like, don't get out of the car. You know, right? <laughs> he runs back. I am freaking. So he comes back about two, three minutes later, buckles his seatbelt. We're good to go. <laughs> wow. I was like, what just happened? <laughs> he said, I told him we were in a hurry. Oh my gosh. I told him we were going to the International Trumpet Guild. And he said, okay. (laughs) That was it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I just realized that that's not an interaction that would have went that way had I been stopped. You know, those are just little things. I just try to be, when I do have interactions, I try to be respectful to people, but I'm mindful that, you know, I mean, I don't know how far you take this, you, you know, 
if you if you are a darker skin color than mine, it's harder. Uh, every in every culture, the darkest people are the most oppressed. It could be the Jewish community, mm -hmm. it could be the Italians, the Sicilians. Uh, you know, if you know Sicily's off of that boot, right. Uh, right. that's right by Africa. Sicilians are very dark and they have big bushy afros. Mm -hmm. Italians look down upon them. Mm -hmm. Brazil, when I go to Brazil, I picked up by this great, beautiful black guy. And I, I talked to him that, about that immediately. He goes, absolutely. He's like, actually, my parents want me to marry, marry somebody light skin. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you didn't want to go down this path. But so no, that... That's good. Yeah, that's what people deal with you know you deal with it when people when i'm in school and people say hey whenever you play something it sounds jazzy to me now i didn't really get into jazz until i got to college my father listened to classical music most all day and then he liked jazz on the side and he took us to jazz concerts but most everything i heard at home was all classical music so they that was already a stereotype right i mean that was the stereotype to say that i was sounding jazzy because i hadn't really gotten that together yet mm-hmm I, I listened to Louis Armstrong, probably. That was the person I listened to the most. I really didn't know Clifford Brown. I liked Dizzy because it was fast and it was intriguing. Listened to a little bit of Miles. But my guy was Maurice Andre. I saw him five times when I was a kid. I told my dad because he was touring back then. Mm -hmm. Best part of Maurice Andre, he's playing that piccolo trumpet, piccolo trumpet, and organ recital. All I can think about these is how much money did you get for that? Because it's only <laughs> two people, right? Right. I'm thinking economics, you know? Right. And he's playing. And he messed up something I'd never heard. He went like, guess what he did? He started laughing. Yeah. Then he went, <laughs> then he picked up his trumpet and proceeded to kick butt after that. And like, nobody cared, right? Nobody cared. Nobody cared. It was like a great musical experience for me to see a master just step on it like that. Mm -hmm. And then just like, I don't care. I'm playing music, man. This is all about, so. but he was my idol. I wanted to be him or I wanted to be herself. You know, that was yeah. my thing when I was coming up. Yeah. So I got to meet him backstage after seeing the Chicago Symphony when I was in high school. We, I was going to Interlochen Arts Academy. We drove up to, um, to Chicago and we waited outside for Herseth. And he came out and Mr. Herseth, and he was as nice as he could be. Yeah. And talked to us for a few minutes, signed autographs and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, Doc Severinsen, somebody I had, like everybody else, had watched on The Tonight Show for years and years and and sometimes you'd get that five second yep. uh, bumper either going to or coming back from commercial and you're like wait i want more <laughs> you know and now i've had a good fortune over the last few years to get to know doc yep and it's it's not anything like i would ever have imagined he is he gives you the time of day he, you know he's the superstar but he he gave I I watched this at uh, Miami ITG last year. This fourteen year old kid comes up to the Shires booth. There's my shameless promotion for Shires, by the way. <laughs> this kid comes up and gets Doc's attention. And Doc, I mean the the booth. There everybody wants to talk to him, right? Yep. He is one on one with this kid, listening as this kid, who I wonder if he really appreciates what Doc is. Who who him. is this guy? Yeah, yeah. Right. And and I think he did. But what I saw was, this is what it's supposed to be like. This is one of the superstars of music. Yes. Being a great human being. And that's what I've, uh, that's what I look at Doc right now. And I think 
his best work, his best influence has been since The Tonight Show because his encouragement and his promotion of music and trumpet since then has just been spectacular. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I agree. You know? I so agree. I, I apologize. I went off on a little tangent. No, here, well, I wanted to tell you about what we're talking about with race and Doc Severinsen. So Doc Severinsen, he's a dear friend. And he said, Byron, I think the best thing for race relations was Clark Terry. Mm. He said, because any, he would go into schools. You might have crossed the street if, if you saw this black guy, Clark Terry, coming towards you before a concert. Like, oh, who's that? After the concert, you were in love with him. <laughs> right? That music did it because Clark would always, I don't know if you ever, Clark would always sign autographs. The last person whoever it was. So usually if he went to a high school or a college, there was a line that wrapped around all the right, way right. back into the thing. And he signed every autograph and the mothers, the kids, all they wanted to hug him and they wanted to tell him what an experience it was for you. So really maybe our, we as artists in terms of race, in terms of love and all that, that's who we are. And we can deliver that. That's why we got to get back onto stage to your point. We can deliver that through music. Because there's not that dogma. I was, you know, I, I'm the principal pops conductor, newly appointed of the of the Pittsburgh Symphony. Oh, congratulations! Um, and yeah, and that happened in uh, January, and then we had the uh, right. <laughs> so, right. my first concert was supposed to be October. They're like, we don't know, yeah. Right. But um, why did I mention that? Talking about uh, uh, oh, so I, I I was in Florida, happened, and they're like, oh, you're going to be in Florida? Come talk to our donors because. They have a, a summer, uh, a winter thing they do in Florida. And I was playing with the Naples Philharmonic. So I asked some of their donors, I said, let's talk about your experiences. Um, uh, tell me, you know, what it means like to love the orchestra, the Pittsburgh Symphony this much. And what have been your experiences in the concert hall? And a guy t said, he says, I'm a very religious man. He says, but I have to tell you. I think my best religious experiences or uplifting experiences have been in the concert hall, mm. right? So the music can get to people that way. And when I, he says, when I hear, that's why I'm a fan now, when I hear the Pittsburgh Symphony, I'm lifted. I'm better than when I walked in the concert hall. Mm. We have the power to do that as musicians. And I think jazz musicians need to realize that and classical musicians need to realize it too, that we can change life, that the theater is a magical place. And I feel that all the concerts that happen in those great theaters are still swirling around there. And we can latch on to those and continue to uplift people through what we play. It's a tremendous responsibility and it's needed now more than ever, you know? And so when we, when we go, go back, Larry, we, we have to really play our butts off because the world needs us right now more than they know because music can cut through all the dogma, whether it be religion, whether it be politics or all this craziness, you just hear that sound, all that, that orchestra coming to you. Then that trumpet, see, I always say the trumpet, the trumpet shall sound and the dead will be raised, you know? So we are the most important thing in any orchestra in any organization. Amen, right? You and I can agree <laughs> with that, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> But the, the glorious sound of that trumpet, when you hear a Herseth, when you hear a Schluter, when you hear a, a, a Phil Smith, you know, do that for you. Mm -hmm. This is when the goosebumps begin to come for us and for hopefully for people too. Mm -hmm. So we have a, we are charged with that. And every career is about service. And we have to always be asking, how can I serve? How can I serve? Mm -hmm. And with music, we can do it through lifting people up. Mm -hmm.
Well, I don't think anything can follow that up. I, I mean, that's that's as profound as it gets right there. Um, you know, this, I, I can't believe we're, we're over an hour, and, and I want to respect your time. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know what? I, I'd love to get back together another time and maybe talk a little bit a little bit more, maybe post COVID, see what happens. And uh, that'd be a good idea. And we're not that far. I'm in Indy, right? So, yeah. So, uh, maybe uh, yeah. once things clear up, I can drive your way and uh, I'll buy you. No, would love to. And I actually in, in Indianapolis had inquired about me coming back again, but I just wasn't like the next year. Mm. Uh, I, but I, I was totally booked. I'm not booked anymore. But yeah, <laughs> right. You know how hard it is to look at your schedule and just see every day. The gig start. Somebody calls up. Now we're, I'm into. I'm actually supposed to have some gigs at the end of August. I'm going to conduct the the St. Louis Symphony with my ragtime show. I have. Um, they're going to social distance the audience for that one. So that's booked. The Western Michigan Symphony. They're going to film it for their audience and or live stream a concert that I'll do with them. So there are some things coming up. Let's hope that they don't, you know, right. don't, don't right. get canceled. But. Yeah. Yeah. It just thought, and this may sound funny, I hope it does, but uh, avant-garde jazz has been social distancing people for decades, right? <laughs> so <laughs> We call know. that free jazz. You play it for free. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? There you go. So, well, um, okay, I'm going to do it. I'll wrap things up, and then I want to talk to you about maybe some other people you sure. suggest I yeah. should get in touch with. So yeah. uh, let me just say, uh, my my face is killing me. I've been smiling and laughing so much. That's this. the goal. And I have so enjoyed uh, talking to you, but listening. Uh, wow. What an absolute treat this has been. For yes, me. So absolutely. Thank you for the time. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you. And yeah. uh, I'll let you know when this comes out. Yeah, please do. Let's do it again. Great. So, all right. That's where I'll end things. Uh, so, who have you got? I mentioned uh, Bria Sconberg. Um, yeah, I'm writing her name down and I will send you her contact. Okay. Who else? If you like Louis Armstrong, you should interview Ricky Riccardi. Right. Not Ricky Ricardo. But... Right. I'm going to send you a link to his book. You can begin. He is, the, as I said before, the world's authority on Louis Armstrong. And so okay. with both of these people, anybody I recommend, you just um, tell them that I said to call you. Okay. Uh, Ricky, you know, I think he's interested in doing stuff because he's got a new book coming out, so you can be part of that promotion for him. Bree is, is also great on, she can talk to you about how she's used um, social media, because she's so young, to move her career. I didn't have any recordings of, of Bria or anything. I heard her on YouTube, mm -hmm. and then, you know, how you like, give me more, give me more. Mm -hmm. And this is like eight plus years ago. And I said, I want you to solo with my band, and she agreed. And no then way. I've had her second time uh, was last year. I had wow. her. She, she gives a great wow. show. You yeah. know? And she's trying to, you know, get with, with orchestras. And I, I'm going to do what I can to help her create yeah. something for Well, she's, she's she, terrific. She's yeah. done the Vancouver Symphony. And, and another that I think connects with an audience so easily. She's just. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And good eye candy, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you know, that's why, you know, Tina Helseth is such, you know, I think. And exactly. Allison, Allison. Boy, I, do I have a crush on those two. I mean, my gosh, right? It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, uh, Ingrid Jensen, I interviewed at ITG last She's year. Yeah. And you know what? She had no clue who I was, which I get it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm still relatively well, well uh, unknown. Sure. Um, 
But once we got into the interview, it was great. You know, she well, really opened fantastic. up. I love and, her. Uh, yeah. I love so, her. Uh, if you want well, to do jazz, guys, have you done Sean Jones? No. I met him a couple of years ago. Uh, he came to hear Rex. And I had Rex okay. at a trumpet conference. And yeah. uh, I met him for about five minutes. I, I'd love to yeah. talk to him. Amazing musician. So I player. think I actually reached out to him either on Facebook or by email, but I never heard back. Okay. I'll so, give you his actual contact. Okay. And sometimes you have to hit him a couple times before he'll get yeah. back to you. Okay. He's busy. Um, uh, I reached out. And John Faddis, I reached out to yesterday. Uh, uh -huh. Did he answer you yet? Not, you can not yet, but, you know, I, I realized. I know. You, you have a personal email for him, or did you go through a website? Uh, I think it was through a website. Might have been through his agent. But, yeah, uh, I can get you his personal email. That'd be great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I got my interview with Sergey, uh, thanks to Rex, because you know they're they're. So did you do Sergey? Do you have it? I did, and it was you. You froze on me. Sorry. Uh, I did. I, I got him at ITG last year too, and it was. Okay, so I usually take uh, a beta blocker when I perform, just because I, you know, it. But I, I've never done that with an interview. Yeah. But that's one of the interviews where I felt like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, because I have uh, the way we have a crush on Tina and Allison. I, I kind of have a man crush. Sure. Of course. What a great interview, though, and so down to earth. Wow. So humble. Is it up now? Oh yeah, it's uh, episode uh, twenty-seven. So yeah, it's. I'll, I'll um, send you links. If you can send me links, or what's the, is it a website that you'd go on? Or uh, I've got it on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play and under your name, uh, under Studio HFL. By HFL. the way, HFL. Yeah. So what's HFL stand for? You got to think like a trumpet player. Hot freaking lead player. I don't know. <laughs> well, it wasn't until now, but I'm going to change it for that. That's right. great. No, higher, faster, louder is. How oh my lesson. God! Yes. You yeah. know, so, but but that's changed. Just a few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I are in the car. I think that we do our best thinking sometimes when we're just the two of us driving along. And yeah. I said, I think I want to change it to hear from legends. Right. Oh, HFL. fantastic! So I mulled that over for a little bit, and then. Uh, I knew uh, Jeff Kerno was a, he's a cartoonist. All, yeah. I mean, he's a great trumpet player, right? Empire yeah. Brass and all that. And I interviewed him. And so I called him back and I said, hey, would you be interested in doing a little cartoon for me? And then he said, sure, let me see your logo. I said, I don't have a logo. He goes, I'll make you one. Wow. So, I mean, I paid him for it. Yeah. But uh, I, I told him, I said, hear from legends. And so now if you go to the website, You'll, you'll see the logo he designed, and I'm thrilled with it. That's a great story, though. Keep that in. But I, you know, I think that's really, that's that's true. I This is why I want to talk to all these people, you included, yeah. is it's it's not just great stories, because there's so much great current right. material as well. It's like where you are, what you're dealing with, how right. you're getting through, you know, Yes. Uh, lockdown and, and everything else. And yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's the best of all possible worlds, I think. Yeah. Uh, for this. So, um, yeah, this has yeah. been great. Yeah. Froze on me again. Um, so, you know, I will send you, 
uh, an email. Uh, but what I'd like, I don't know if you're a t-shirt okay. guy. I want to send you one of my, my studio HFL t-shirts. Um, I don't know if you'll well, It has it. to be XX large, though, because I'm That's so great. fat. No, I, I got up to three. <laughs> so we're good. Uh, but I, I want to okay. get your address. Two X would be great. I'd love to have Okay. I'll send you that. And um, it's probably going to take about two weeks uh, to edit and get yeah. this out. But uh, if yeah. you want to hear it before it goes out, and I'm happy to, to let you preview it. No, but, I uh, edit myself, so I knew there's nothing incriminating there. <laughs> no, in fact, uh, this is one of those. I was thinking uh, I'm not going to have to spend much time. Uh, there's, there, I'm not going to have yeah. to put an explicit rating <laughs> on this, which is great. Uh, <laughs> and, and no, it's all been all been fantastic. So, oh, good, uh, good. Thank you so much. I look forward to the next time I, I get to see you, hopefully, uh, yeah. on stage. Wasn't there a really young player in Indianapolis that's playing lead or something? Yeah, Conrad Jones. God, what was my daughter there or something? Somebody's like, who is that? Like they were, she was like hitting on him. One of my Conrad, he was my very first interview, and he is a rock solid player. You know, he's got great classic yeah, chops, yeah. but he's got he's got some good jazz background. So if stuff comes along the stand across the stand yeah man he can nail it he's beautiful just, he's well i enjoyed talking with him for just a little bit so that was yeah so that was yeah great. so well, well thank you man i'm going to send you some things when i get a, a second here i'll send you some some of these right. emails to these people thank you i i really enjoyed this thanks for your time absolutely all, all right. right take care of yourself all right all right see, see you soon, soon. Bye. bye well here we are at the end of today's interview hope you enjoyed it we'll come back for more I'd also like to thank again the sponsors of this podcast, Asina Covers, the Eastman Music Company, and S.E. Shires. Their support helps me to continue to deliver these interviews on a regular basis. Be sure to check out their products at MessinaCovers.net, EastmanWinds.com, and SEShires.com. And one final reminder that you too can be a supporter of this podcast by subscribing at Patreon.com slash StudioHFL. Thanks again. Now go practice.